This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. What's up, everybody? Kenny here with a special edition of Prospects 101. And as always, we're brought to you by our great partners at Bet Online, Deal Dash, and Blue Wire Pods. Now, when I say this is a special episode, it's a solo episode with just me kind of going over the state of college football currently at the moment and everything that has been going on the past really couple weeks, which have been huge, huge changes in schedules and and social justice reforms and implications and PR moves and everything in between. So I kind of want to just go over some of the bigger news that has come out in the last couple weeks and really catch everybody up to speed and, and, and try to bring some clarification as to what you might be looking at for a potential season. So I'll really kick right off with the biggest news that kind of dropped this weekend, which was the Pac-12 conference open letter that the players submitted to the Players' Tribune as basically reforms they want to see inside the sport of college football, specifically in the Pac-12, because that's where they are, and and that they want to see these things addressed or they're potentially going to boycott. So let's go over some of them because I have some agreement on on some of these issues and I have some disagreements on some of these issues. So let's let's hop right in. Number one was health and safety precautions, COVID-19 protections, uh, allow option not to play during the pandemic without losing athletics eligibility or spot on our team's roster. Uh, I agree with that. I think anybody who wants to opt out during this pandemic and not play should absolutely not be penalized in any sense of the of the word, whether that is, you know, by losing a year of eligibility or losing your spot or your scholarship, I, I don't think so. I don't think there should be any issues with anybody opting out, and I think that is a, a very, very fair ask for the players. Uh, and then it says prohibit and void COVID-19 agreements that waive liability. 
Now, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't want to dive too much into that. I don't know where, to be honest, I stand on that because I think if you do play, you do have to accept some liability that you're going to be around in a locker room that is going to be very tight. You know, everybody who, you know, I'm assuming has listened to this show has been in a locker room at some point or played sports at some point in your life, and you know what it's like. I mean, it's basically like being in in a classroom but with more people and tighter. And, you know, it's you can socially distance as much as possible, but I don't know how you wave – Get this, get everybody to waive the liability if you choose to play. I, I, that's a sticky issue. I don't know how that actually holds up in court, what that is, but I gotta imagine that's one that's probably not gonna go over very well with the lawyers at colleges because if they if they allow to waive the liability, then you know the agreements that would players would waive their liability. Then you're talking about if a player gets sick and something happens with COVID. That they're that they basically you're giving them a free avenue to sue, sue the school. So I don't know I don't know where I necessarily stand on that just because I'm not a lawyer. I don't know the ins and outs of the legal system particularly well enough to address that. But that is one of the concerns for the players. Uh, and then mandatory safety standards, including COVID-19 measures, basically it says player-approved health and safety standards enforced by a third party. Selected by players to address COVID-19 as well as serious injuries, abuse, and death. So essentially they're asking for a third party to kind of be a watchdog over these programs. I don't necessarily have an issue with that. I don't think that there are there's anything wrong with having an independent third party watching over programs in a pandemic era or non-pandemic era. I think anytime you have an independent arbitrator or an independent team of doctors or physicians or health experts – Looking over an athletic program, I think that's a good thing. I don't have a problem with that. You know, maybe I don't know if maybe each individual school can afford to have one. So maybe the conference has you know brings in an independent uh, independent company to split up. You know, maybe maybe the Pac-12 brings in you know two companies or two divisions of a company, one to worry about six schools and the other to worry about the six other schools. You know, I think that might be a more realistic option, but. I you know, I don't have a problem with an independent group that oversees an athletic program to make sure that they are in line and that they are following safety protocols. I think that's a great idea. Uh, number two, this is kind of the second bullet point uh, with little sub-bullet points underneath it that you come across when you read this on the Players' Tribune. It says, protect all sports. Preserve all existing sports by eliminating excessive expenditures. And it's, number one sub-bullet is Larry Scott administrators and coaches to voluntarily and drastically reduce excessive pay. Number two, each performance or end performance slash academic bonuses. Number three, end lavish facility expenditures and use some endowment funds to preserve all sports with an asterisk that says, as an example, Stanford University should reinstate all sports discontinued by tapping into their $27.7 billion endowment. Okay, let's break this down point by point because this is where I kind of you kind of lose me a little bit in this argument. So Larry Scott, administrators and coaches to voluntarily and drastically reduce excessive pay. Am I a fan of that? Not necessarily. Do I have an issue with it? No, I don't either because it's unprecedented times. I think they're getting paid what the fair market values their job at. So I have no problem with people making what the fair market says they should make. That's free market economics 101. I love it. But this is an extraordinary time, and we're already talking about 
athletic departments being super low on cash now. You know, if you think of most athletic departments, really football is the only one that is in the black. You know, outside of your Dukes, your Kentuckys, uh, your Michigan States, your UNCs, your blue bloods of college basketball that probably turn a profit. Not many other sports turn profit in the athletic department. They're all, they all, all generally operate in the red and in the heavy red a lot of times too. Football pays for pretty much the entire athletic department to stay around. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what it does. And those schools who have big secondary sports like college basketball or maybe college baseball, you know, there's some SEC schools that, that generate a lot of revenue with college baseball. Uh, or, you know, someone like Oregon State. But other than that, you know, most programs are in the red outside of football. So I have no problem with coaches making, you know, what they deem excessive pay. But at the same time, this is a, this is a, this is a, this is an era of unpredictability and we've never seen anything like this. And we know that there's probably not going to be fans. If there are fans, it'd be very, very minimal fans in the stands. So they're losing out on ticket revenue. Really, the only thing they have to fall back on this year is TV contracts, which are nice, which are going to be good, but you're still missing out on a lot of revenue. So yeah, you know, maybe them drastically, you know, reducing their pay for this year to kind of help chip in and, and save the athletic department as a whole, not the worst demand ever. Uh, in performance and academic bonuses, uh, I'm not really sure, to be honest, exactly what that means. I'm guessing coaches and administrators get bonuses based on, like, graduation rates. And, you know, obviously performance is probably they get a bonus if they – you know, make a bowl game or win a bowl game or win a conference title or something. I'm assuming that's what that entails. But from an academic standpoint, I don't know why you would want to get rid of academic bonuses uh, to ensure that you have great graduation rates and great scores when it comes to academics. I think that's a great incentive to have as a program. So I don't necessarily agree with that. Uh, but I would need to do more digging into what that actually entails because I don't know the fine print on that. I'm just assuming that that's what that means. And then in lavish facility expenditures and use some endowment funds to preserve all sports was the last bullet point. So let me break that down into two. One, the facilities arms race is uh, is a double-edged sword. Is some of it a little ridiculous? Probably. And is some of it lavish like they say yes but at the end of the day a lot of these facilities and the tech that goes into these facilities and the amenities you get in these facilities are what help these programs especially these bigger programs develop you into better athletes like i don't know if facilities like because to me facilities and comfort encompasses like a a nutritional facility or a diet with that houses a, a top flight dietitian and a nutritional coach, and someone who is going to be there to help you maximize 110% of your body, and to help you with, you know, your weight training and your, you're setting your optimal sleep schedule, everything that goes into that stuff. So I, I think if they broke it down, I'd like to see a breakdown of it rather than just a broad lavish facility expenditure. But I think a lot of this stuff does help develop you to be the best possible athlete you can be to prepare you to play at the next level, whether that's the NFL, the MLB, the NHL, uh, the NBA, whatever that is. 
you know, I don't have a problem with schools and using money that they raise in fundraisers to help pay for these quote unquote lavish facilities. I think that helps make the game better, to be honest. I think it, it produces a finer tuned athlete and it helps you achieve the most you can get out of your potential, your athletic potential. Now, here's where I really get lost, and this kind of is twofold because of, of something that happens later in, in the list of demands. But use endowment funds to preserve all sports with an asterisk that says, as an example, Stanford should reinstate all sports discontinued by tapping in their $27.7 billion endowment. Now, I disagree with that, one, because you can't do that. Their $27.7 billion endowment is a general academic fund. It's not a sports-related fund. They're two separate entities. Yes, Stanford Athletics and Stanford are the same. You know, They're both Stanford University, but they're independent in terms of endowment funds. You have your own athletic endowment fund that people donate to. So that $27.7 billion isn't an athletic fund. That's for academic improvements. That's for labs. That's for equipment. That's for top-notch technology and like your computer labs or, or your research labs, R&D, paying tenured teachers to come teach at your school uh, to be competitive when bringing in the best teachers or school administrators at the academic level. So all of that is not – you can't use that. You can't – you cannot use that endowment. It's against the law. It's against federal law to use academic money, the money that's been earmarked for academics, in an athletic nature. Like that's that's fraud. That's fraudulent. Like if I donated a hundred million dollars to Stanford for them to build a new library, to help build a new library, or whatever, you know, to help build a new science lab or a computer lab or anything that's related to lab or academics or, or whatever it might be for academic improvement or betterment. And then you turn around and use $50 million of that to help pay for the 11 varsity sports that Stanford cut because their athletic department no longer was financially solvent. I, I would be I would be incensed. I would be asking for that money back because I did not donate that money to go to the athletic program. I donated it to go to your general academic fund, which is where that $27 billion that they're talking about comes from. So that, to me, completely ridiculous. I don't know how that got overlooked. I don't know if somebody is, is guiding these kids in a way to to these conclusions, but whoever it is or whoever the leader of this is did a horrendous job of research right there. I mean, that was just terrible, and I don't stand behind that at all because it's completely illegal. So that part of it, I would scratch from their demands. It's not a good look. And to be honest, it hurts the overall message that they're trying to bring because you see that, and it's like, well, was this drawn on the back of, of a, a coloring book? Did you use crowns to come up with some of these demands? Because now that's going to take away from it. Now the argument shifts from, well, they should have these social justice reforms and these financial reforms – Oh wait, they can't even they can't even get their facts straight. They don't even know what's federal law, and what isn't. You know what's a sports and most athletic endowment funds. So are are usually five percent are are usually at most five percent of what the general endowment fund is for the school. Because again, they're separate. 
So at, and that's at most, that's all, that's, that would be a, a huge athletic endowment fund if it was 5% of the general endowment fund that the school receives. So, uh, absolutely disappointed with the, with that demand because it's just, it's, you can't even do it. It's not even legally possible. Uh, which is frustrating because it takes away from the other issues in here because it's just stuff, it's ammunition for people to use against this argument. End, number three bullet point, end racial injustice in college sports and society. Form a permanent civil civic engagement task force made up of our leaders, experts of our choice, and university and conference administrators to address outstanding issues such as racial injustice in college sports and society. I don't know why you would be against that. I think it's a phenomenal idea. Again, you can never have too many think tanks to help with these issues. I love it. In partnership, number two, in partnership with Pac-12, 2% of conference revenue would be directed by players to support financial aid for low-income black students, community initiatives, and development programs for college athletes on each campus. Love it. I have no issue with that. I have no issue with, with extra financial aid going to low-income students, and uh, low-income black students. And you know, there, I guess there's, there could be an argument to be made, well, why is it only black students when there are other, I'm sure, low-income students, at, student athletes of, of other races? And, and that's a fair argument. Now, I will say I would probably venture to guess that, you know, 70 to 80% of low-income student athletes are African-American. So I get where, you know, they're trying to to band together and help each other out. I get that. I think there's an argument to be made both. I, I would like to see more aid go to low income of all races, but I have no problem with the predominantly African-American student population, student athlete population that we have in college sports receiving extra aid who come from low income, low income areas. A lot of these, a lot of, some of these guys have kids coming into college. Um, and I, I tell you right now, as a college student, my, uh, one, as a one-time college student, I couldn't have raised a kid, uh, you know, in college, no way, and play sports. So I have no problem with extra aid coming to these guys, helping out, none at all. From and then number three, form annual form an annual Pac-12 Black College Athlete Summit with guaranteed representation of at least three athletes of our choice from every school. Great, I love it. Again, you can't have enough think tanks to help end racial injustice in society. Can't do it. So I, I'm, I, I love it. I'm, I'm more than fine with as many summits and forums needed to address issues of social inequality. I love it. Now the fourth point, and this is where I really start to kind of get, it really starts to lose me as, as a whole. Fourth point is economic freedom and and equity. Guaranteed medical expense coverage is number one. Medical insurance selected by the players for sports-related medical conditions, including COVID-19 illness, to cover six years after college athletics eligibility ends. Uh, I have a major issue with covering six years after college athletic eligibility ends. I think you should be covered. I have no problem with the medical insurance selected by players for sports-related medical conditions, including COVID-19, that would be covered by the college. I have no issue with that. Take care of your players. But I do have an issue with six years after college athletic ends. A, that's extremely, extremely expensive. And B, if you if you add that with all the other financial demands that you're demanding here that I'll be reading off in a minute, it just doesn't make sense. So I think as long as you're there, you should be covered medically. 
by your by if you're on scholarship, you should be covered medically by the school. And that's that. I, I love it. I have no problem with that. You should be guaranteed medical insurance. However, six years after college athletic eligibility ends, I, I don't agree with that. I, I think that's far-fetched, and I think that's way too long, especially if you move on to, you know, most of these people move on to jobs. So you, you have workers' comp where you work. You have medical insurance that comes to where, where your job is. If you're moving if you're moving on to another sports league, you have insurance through them. You have So if I blow my knee out in training camp for the Denver Broncos – should my college insurance cover that? Because technically, I'm six. I'm not six years removed from my eligibility ending. No, absolutely not. Or should if I fall down some stairs at work, or if I hurt my back on working construction, or uh, you know lifting a box in the office, or you know if if I you know whatever if I hit my head on my desk or something, I don't know. I'm just kind of getting ridiculous now, but. You understand what I'm saying? Like, that's what workers comp for. That's what insurance at your job and at your next workplace is for. So, no, I don't agree with the six years after college athletics ends. Uh, name, image, and likeness rights and representation. The freedom to secure representation, receive basic necessities from any third party to earn money from our name, image, and likeness rights. I've been on record saying I'm a huge proponent of that. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about it because I think you should absolutely be able to secure sponsorship of some sort from – your local businesses, national businesses, whatever. If you if you have a name and you can use it, you should be able to use it for your image, likeness, and rights representation and get paid for it. I have no issue with that. Next one is fair market pay, rights, and freedoms. Distribute fifty percent of each totals each sports total conference revenue evenly among athletes and their respective sports. Huge, huge, huge red flag here. One, you're talking out of both sides of your mouth now because you can't protect all sports when only at most two are in the black that actually turn a profit. How can you get 50% of the conference revenue for that sport if you're in the negative and then expect to keep those programs around? Because football subsidizing these sports, football subsidizing rowing, they're subsidizing baseball, softball, they're subsidizing track and field. They're subsidizing men and women's soccer and men and women's tennis. They're subsidizing all these sports, yet now you want those schools who are being subsidized subsidized by either basketball or football, whichever one is turning a profit, or both then at the school, then you're going to you're gonna demand 50% of the revenue that doesn't exist, that profit doesn't, isn't there. So you're only going to put that sport further in the red now which would make it harder to keep around at the end of the year when you look and go, wow, you know, men and women's soccer was costing us $5 million to run, which we did not receive anything back. We were making a million off the program. It's costing us $5 million, so we're $4 million in the hole. And then now you want us to give you 50% of that $1 million to those players. So now it's now I'm only making 500000 and it's costing me $4.5 million. At the end, why am I going to continue to keep that around and continue? I, it just doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense to me. Football, it does. Basketball, to an extent, it does because bat, some basketball programs do turn a profit, and maybe some baseball programs in the South turn a profit. Other than that, there's no way. That's a death sentence for those schools. You can't talk about protecting every sport, in, especially in this financial climate with COVID, 
and then turn around and demand 50% of the revenue from that sport when they're not pro- they're not profitable. That doesn't that's not how that's not how finance finances work. That that's ridiculous to me. Uh, that this is where it really goes off the rail in my opinion. I, I, I this 50% rule. Like I said, football is the only one that makes sense, and not even every football program, especially G5 programs, turn a profit. So now we're only talking about like maybe 70% of of athletic departments turn a profit. So if your if your athletic department as a whole is in the red, how are you going to distribute money you don't have? I, again, I, I have a big issue with that one. That one does not stick well with me, and I think it's unrealistic. And again, it takes away from the seriousness of what's actually being requested here. It gives critics ammunition to dismiss this as a whole. Whether that's fair or not, it does. Number two, under fair market pay rights and freedom. Six-year athletic scholarships to foster undergraduate and graduate degree completion. I have no problem with that. Not everybody, I mean, very little make it to the next level. If they wanted to do six-year athletic scholarships, to continue, so you would continue to play there two years after your graduate, you know, so if you if you graduate and now you're on your graduate degree, I have zero issue with that. I have no problem with that. You know, a lot of these guys and girls, a lot of these men and women aren't going to play professional sports at the next level. I mean, I, I think it's probably less than a percentage actually make it to a professional sport. So six-year athletic scholarships, I'm great with that. Uh, elimination of all policies, practices, restricting or deterring our freedom of speech, our ability to fully participate in charitable work, or in our freedom to participate in campus activities outside of mandatory athletics participation. No issues with that either. I thought it was ridiculous. Trevor Lawrence got his hand slapped for doing a COVID charity. Um, again, this kind of goes more into the, the lightness argument. You should be able to use your lightness to help with charitable causes, to help with social causes, to help with... You, you shouldn't be restricted on using social media uh, or, or, or have or restricted from talking to the press. Uh, I think that's always been a little ridiculous. I, I obviously it helps from a distraction standpoint, but I, to me it's always been stupid. I, I disagree with it, and I don't have a problem with it. Ability of our number four ability of players of all sports to transfer one time without punishment, and additionally in cases of abuse or serious negligence. Yes, agreed, 100%. I love the one-time transfer rule without punishment. If a coach can leave after one season, why can't a kid? Zero issues with that, 100% on board with it. And number five, the ability to complete eligibility after participating in a pro draft if a player goes undrafted or forgoes professional participation within seven days of the draft. This is a little tricky. This is a little tricky because there's a lot of moving parts to this. You have agents, you have money agents give to players as a quote-unquote advance that they will pay back once they sign their first professional contract and they get drafted. It's a lot to track. I, I think the deadlines are important because there are consequences in this world. And there are consequences to making wrong choices and, getting, and, and listening to bad data. And I get people turn pro because they have mouse to feed and they have family to feed and they have situations where even if they go undrafted, getting a twenty-five, $40,000 signing bonus from a team to come in as an undrafted free agent is better than playing another year of college football because they're $40,000 richer. And they could use that to 
help pay for, you know, medical bills, food, whatever they might need it for to, to, for themselves or for their family or significant others, children, whatever. However, I don't think you should be able to enter the draft, go through the entire combine, and this is from a football perspective, and basketball, there's a combine in basketball, a combine, a combine, go out through all the pre-draft interviews, all that process, then not get drafted, or what if you're, what if you're a second, third round pick and you just don't like where you go, you don't like the team who drafts you, and then you decide after seven days, six days after the draft, and you go, you know what? Nah, I want to go back to college. I'm sorry, that's tough luck there, bud. You know, oops. You know, that's that's the risk of it, man. That's the that's the lottery you play when entering the draft of your professional sports. So uh, I like that they they have the option now in the NBA where you can kind of go through a. A, a light, a pre-draft process light where you get all this feedback and you can work out for like some scouts and they can give you feedback and go, hey, this is where you might be selected or this is where you're probably going to be selected. And you get the most informed decision possible. And, you know, I'm all for that. If football wants to do something like that too, where, you know, as long as you don't hire an agent, you're okay. You, you get a little bit longer of a leash to decide whether you want to go and you get some additional information. I love it. I'm, I'm fine with that. I, I hope these kids are making the most informed decision possible. But once that deadline's passed and you're in the draft, if you get undrafted, uh, you know, or you get drafted and you just don't like the situation you're in, that's kind of tough luck in my opinion. That's just me. So I, I'm not necessarily on board with number five. Uh, and then due process rights. Love it. I think everybody is afforded the rights of due process. Uh, you're innocent pro- until proven guilty. I, I have no issues with that whatsoever. The country was founded on those rights and, and is the backbone of, of what the country and what what we believe as a country to be fair. So, yeah, due process rights are great. I would like to see an expanse on it to, to really hone in on what they're talking about. But as a general rule, due process rights are great. Again, so the three that really stood out to me that were kind of nonsense and really take away from the seriousness of what they're, of the hashtag we are united uh, players of the Pac-12 are fighting for were the endowment funds to preserve all sports because that is very flawed and against the law and, and it's it's fraud. You're They're arguing for fraud there. And then Cover the the medical coverage six years after college eligibility ends. I think it should end when your when your time at the university is up. I think you should be covered from the time you step on campus to the time you step off campus, and then after that, it is what it is. And then the other one is fifty percent pay of each sport's total conference revenue when you. When an athletic department is lucky if two sports are even revenue neutral, when most sports are in the red and not profitable, you there's you can't get fifty percent of what's not there, uh, and and that just that really that to me the two fight the two the the endowment and the fifty percent of each sports total conference just absolutely flummoxed me. And I think 95% of what's in this is great. It would be great for implement, implementation for college football. But the 5% is just so far out of touch with reality. Uh, it's 
it's ridiculous. And, and to be honest, it, it unfortunately it takes away. Again, I hate to keep repeating that, but it takes away from the real issues that are being discussed in this "We Are United" letter. Um, but that's one man's opinion. You know, I'm sure there's other opinions. I hope that clarified some things for you. I encourage you to read some more into this letter that's on the Players Tribune. And again, it's hashtag We Are United by the players of the Pac-12. Now, some fallout to this actually happened over, well, really late last night, late Sunday night, which was, I almost said Hawaii because Nick Rolovich coached at Hawaii. Nick Rolovich, the head coach at Washington State, now there's some varying reports of what's actually happened here, so I'm going to stay away from really having an opinion one way or the other uh, as to what's taken place, but Here's what's being reported, and there's two sides to the report, and it's being reported by a lot of different media outlets on each side. So I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to refrain from taking a side and just give you what's being reported. And that is Nick Rolovich called Cassidy Woods, a a wide receiver for Washington State who is opting out of the season for COVID health reasons because of a sickle cell trait he has. And... I guess the conversation, which I, I don't, I haven't been able to confirm. I, I, it sounds like it was recorded, but none of the recordings have been released at the time of this recording, so I can't confirm that. But I guess the conversation then turned to the "We Are United" open letter on the Players Tribune, and Rolovich, Coach Rolovich, asked Cassidy Woods if this is something he supports, which he said he was. And then it kind of gets fuzzy from here. It sounds like Coach basically said moving forward that this was going to be an issue and that it might not necessarily be the be the best interest to keep Cassidy Woods around the program and on the team you know, with his involvement in the We Are United front. So, again, this is – this is very fuzzy reporting. There's been a lot of different sides to this that have come out. So we're still, I'm still waiting to really re- dig in and really hear on what's real and what isn't. I'm sure the truth lies somewhere in the middle because you're hearing people say, "Oh, well, he wasn't. He was asked to leave because he he opted out of the season. And if you're if you opt out for COVID reasons, uh, or, or if you opt out of the season, you can't practice with the team. You can't be in the locker room. You can't dress with the team." because I'm assuming that has to do with liability. And anyway, basically your involvement with the program is suspended if you opt out of the season. And so there was rumors that he was not going to be involved with the program because coach had told him you're not going to be involved with the program because you stand with the We Are United letter. But then it comes out that he actually opted out. But then there still is some some wordplay going on with, you know, Rolovich actually did, you know, express his dismay that Cassidy Woods uh, stood with the We Are United uh, open letter and then it was basically inferring that there might not be a spot on the team for you in the future because it sends mixed messages and it's going to harm the sport. So I don't know. There's a lot that's going on there, but there's obviously a situation brewing in Washington State over this We Are United uh, open letter. And, and my here's my opinion on it. One, I have no problem with if you opt out for COVID reasons – you shouldn't be involved with the program, not because you don't deserve to be with the program, but because there is a liability issue. If you do have legitimate concerns or legitimate uh, health issues, 
then, yeah, you shouldn't be allowed in the locker room and allowed the guys who are playing because if you catch it, then it's a it's a huge liability issue. So I, I have no problem with that. It, it's pretty cut and dry. If you opt out for COVID reasons, you basically you stay on scholarship, but at that point you've now distanced yourself away from the program until the, situa- the COVID situation is resolved. No issues with that. I think it's fair on both parties. Uh, I don't think any player should be demonized for opting out, nor should I think that there should be any involvement left with the team because it is a liability issue. Now, I have a, I have a problem with Coach Rolovich in a inquiring about if he stands with if the kids stand if if Cassidy Woods stands with the We Are United movement because not necessarily inquiry but then to suggest potentially and again this is alleged potentially that there would be an issue with him being on the team moving forward when this is a great opportunity for both sides to educate each other. You know, great leaders listen and discuss ideas even when they might not agree with the other side. I think that's a trait of a of a great leader, of a guy or a woman who is a phenomenal leader. Like, if you don't agree with, you know, this open letter, like some of the stuff earlier that I said that I didn't agree with in the open letter, but, you know, I agreed with the majority of it, but there were things in it that I didn't disagree with. And I welcome the opportunity to discuss that with somebody who agrees with what I disagree with because that's what great leaders do. They listen. They have the opportunity to educate. And Nick Rolovich is, is, has, an, has an opportunity to go – and all these coaches do, not just Nick Rolovich. He's just the example because of what's being reported. But all these coaches have a great opportunity to roll up their proverbial sleeves and go to their locker room and go, let's talk. Let's talk about finances in college football. Let's talk about the business side of college football versus the amateurism side of college football. Let's talk about the lightness, the the social programs, the the let's talk about this we are united letter. Let's do it. Let's let's have an opportunity to educate each other. Let me let me know where you're coming from and I'm going to let you know where I'm coming from. Because and and, and Nick Wolovich is a special case because he he was a student athlete in the late 90s, early 2000s. He was a quarterback at Hawaii. So he knows the amateur side of this. And, and pretty recently. I mean, that was only 20 years ago. That wasn't that long ago. And now he's a relatively young head coach at 41 years of age who has now been on the business side because he's been a head coach at Hawaii and now Washington State. So he knows both sides of this. From a very, very recent standpoint, that he's missing, in my opinion, a great opportunity to dialogue with these kids and with his team to say, hey, this is where I'm coming from, and this is, how, this is my perspective of it. This is how I see things from a business side. This is why these financials make sense. This is why these financials don't make sense. Whatever the argument might be or the, or the case that he makes to his players to help educate them and vice versa, then his players can go, coach, listen. We respect that. And 20 years ago, it might have been that way, but things have changed a little bit since then. And here's what's changed on our end, and here's where we're coming from, and we want you to see that. This is the opportunity for – this is a fantastic opportunity to dialogue. These coaches – I have a problem with either argument, whether you're for or against the We Are United letter, to just flat-out deny or flat-out accept every single thing in it. Dialogue. This is this is what the country and this is what great leaders do. This is what the leaders of our country should strive to do. Leaders of of kids, leaders of amateurs should di- should be striving to dialogue, to educate, 
to to see the other side of the coin and present the other side of the coin on both sides. And it's unfortunate that this is becoming so polarized that we can't that they're not able to do it or they or they refuse to do it. And and to me, that's a mark of a bad leader is when you say, well, if you stand with this, we are united, open letter, then there might not be a a spot for you on the team moving forward or, or, or because it might send mixed messages to the rest of the locker room. Why not pull the locker room together on a Zoom call? I, I And look, I get it. There's COVID issues right now, so maybe it's a Zoom call. Why not pull the locker room together and say, hey, this is what's going on. Let's talk about it. We have let's set an all-day meeting. Who cares? What else you got to do right now? There's no practices going on. Talk about it. Get everybody on the same page or at least closer to the same page. To me, it's absolutely ridiculous if coaches don't take this time to talk with their players about this and address some real issues. And then be this is an opportunity to bring the locker room together, to to propel the locker room to the next level. This could this could really ignite a team to even be have a stronger bond. Use this, coaches. I beg of you, use this. I'm not saying I agree with everything in the We Are United open letter. But I don't have to if I'm a coach. Let's let's talk. Let's come and find common ground. That's what that's what this should ignite. And to just straight up dismiss it or to potentially encourage a kid to leave the program or to transfer out of the program by saying there might not be a spot for you to me, if true, if true, or if proven, is absolutely ridiculous. And it shows to me that you are not a proven leader, that you are not a capable leader, in my opinion. And if you let this opportunity slip on either side, shame on you. Shame on you when you have the opportunity to. So that's the We Are United open letter. That's everything that's kind of gone down in the last three or four days. Lots of things swirling around. I will. I'm looking forward to addressing it more on future shows. I hope that... I was able to set the record straight on some things and give you some perspective. And I, again, I highly encourage you to go read the article on the Players' Tribune and do some research and come to your own perspective. And if you disagree with me, I'd love to talk to you about it. I'd love to be able to, to have the debate on the show with everyone about these demands, these lists of reforms and changes that the Pac-12 Players Coalition wants to see. So for Prospects 101, I'm Kenny Keller. I appreciate you listening. And wherever you're listening on to right now, make sure you hit that subscribe button and make sure you leave us a five-star review. It really helps us spread the word. And as always, have a great day. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every time an item starts at $0 and you only go up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that the auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or that item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, Deal Dash is offering our listeners an extra $100 in free bids upon sign-up on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use the offer code PROSPECTS101. 
or deal-fm backslash prospects 101. That's deal-d-e-a-d-a-s-h dot fm backslash prospects 101. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Ory. See what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans in a new series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts.